Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories Podcast, Episode 13. Hi, this is Bob. If you've been a listener to Sarasota Stories for a while now, would you do me a little favor? Go to our website, sarasotastories.co, scroll down and enter your best email so you will know when all our episodes will air. It helps us know who's a fan and how many folks are listening. I certainly appreciate it. And now, on to today's episode. What do you do with your life when you're young, smart, and talented? Well, it's simple. You get a job, try to make a lot of money, or start a business to do the same thing. Or if you're a free spirit, maybe you budget travel the world trying to find yourself. But none of these things fit for one very determined young woman who is making a big difference taking on the homeless problem in the greater Sarasota area. Hi, I'm Bob Williams. And I truly believe if you want to better understand your community, build personal, professional, and even lifelong relationships, then a willingness to hear each other's stories is an absolute must. That's why I created the Sarasota Stories podcast, It's a podcast dedicated to helping you get connected just a little bit deeper with those living in this wonderful community we call home. In each episode, I interview business leaders, civic leaders, artists, authors, entrepreneurs, physicians, philanthropists, and others who are making a positive impact in the greater Sarasota area. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome Megan Howell. She's the executive director and founder of Second Heart Homes. It's a nonprofit organization that provides mental health housing that empowers by helping people off the street into the lives they deserve. Two years ago, while Megan was working on Main Street, Sarasota, she met a man who changed her life. He shared his story of how he became homeless, and Megan realized that it could happen to anyone. It was then she decided to do her part to help solve Sarasota's homeless problem. In this episode, you'll hear Megan's story of why she became involved in the Sarasota homeless problem, the process her team uses to help people get back on their feet, success stories that will warm your heart, how you can get involved, and much, much more. I'm so glad you joined us today. As always, it's my hope that you will listen, learn, and connect. Megan Howell of Second Heart Homes, welcome to the Sarasota Stories Podcast. 
right. Hello, Bob. It's nice to to meet you and get to talk to you, learn a little bit about you. And thank you for having me here on behalf of Second Heart Home so we can talk about what we're doing in the community. So it's a, it's a pleasure to uh, e-meet you. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Over the internet. Brave New World. Well, well, Megan, um, as I was doing some research on Second Heart Homes, I mean, I was struck by a number of things. One, that you're doing a, a wonderful service for the Sarasota community. It's a very difficult service, I think, because of the stories that you're going to hear on a daily basis. But you obviously have a heart for these people, and you obviously have a heart really to help many of the homeless that are in this area and with limited resources. And there's always going to be a greater supply than there are is the number of hours in the day really to help all these folks. But I, I really want to commend you because you're a young gal and uh, you're dedicating a good chunk of your life to help these folks. And so I'm just, it's just a real pleasure having you on, on the show today because I've been wanting to do, I wanted to do more to find out more about the homeless situation in Sarasota. And so you're right there on the front lines. And so tell us a little bit what it's like to be on the front lines and what you see through your service of Second Heart Homes. Great. That's a, that's a wonderful starting off point. So, uh, you know, this is, this is a dream come true. It's a purpose and it is a passion and a privilege. And we have such a wonderful team, whether it's, you know, our senior staff or our um, case managers, our volunteers are just incredible and our board of directors, you know, it doesn't work without a team. And so, um, gosh, that's a, that's a complicated question. So how it, how it started. So I'm the executive director and founder and, uh, the, the Genesis, my short version of how it started was there was a severely mentally ill gentleman living on the sidewalk outside of a restaurant I was working at, um, Mm. called Patrick's downtown. Yeah, sure. No, well, have uh, been there over the last $30 Five dollar cheeseburgers ago. every was it Wednesday night or whatever Monday <laughs> Monday okay <laughs> and uh, so anyways I, I became friends with this gentleman uh, he told me lots of interesting stories that that no one else was telling me um, and I would go into work early so I could spend some time and talk with him um, he was a very well educated individual. And, you know, just suffering from mental illness. He was homeless on the street for 25 years and was going to school, doing lots of projects with different organizations as a volunteer basis and um, getting acquainted with the resources in the community and the challenges that clients could face. And uh, through a series of events, this gentleman went missing one day, right? And I knew his real name, went and found him in the hospital where he'd been picked up for a medical emergency. And I asked him what were his discharge plans. And he said he was ready to get off the streets. I said, oh, my goodness, out of the eight years of building rapport with him, he's never said anything like that to me before. And, you know, being homeless for 25 years and, um, and then being in the hospital, he uh, when he said he was ready to get off the streets, I knew I had to at least try something. Had no clue what I was doing, by the way. Uh, I was volunteering as a property manager at 110-unit apartment complex, cleaning up eviction rooms and, and all kinds of um, interesting things. And then... Uh, this individual had a life-saving surgery and 
he needed to go to a skilled nursing facility to learn how to walk again through physical rehabilitation. And he was estranged from his family, which family is estranged from much less than mental illness, right? Oh my, boy, in today's world, yes. Exactly. So became the liaison between this individual and the family so things could get accomplished, right? And so finances started moving. You know, he, he agreed to go to the skilled nursing facility where the social worker told me that it was a waste of their time, my time and the individual's time because they were a flight risk. And I'm sure they've seen that play out a billion times sure, yes. like that. So, I mean, it wasn't, you know, un, un, unfounded. Yeah. And um, but I said, challenge accepted. This is my friend. I, I got to try. And uh, so. He took that great leap of faith and tried. And I love how the solution always lies in the problem. He was a flight risk. So I said, well, I'm, I'm going to come see him every single day. And maybe that'll be enough for him to stay. And um, it was. So for six months, he was working on his physical rehabilitation um, and you know his, his care plan and I'd show up and wheel him off the property so he could smoke his 80 cigarettes and, you know, listen to oh, wow. complicated yes. stories. And then, um, then decided to up the ante after he had underwent the uh, physical rehab portion and, and finished. So coordinated with the family and some other social workers and individuals involved to um, get him his own apartment with kind of the same, uh, premises that check in on him every single day. If it was going to become a problem for the landlord, it was going to become uh, my problem first and foremost. And uh, so, you know, helping coordinate his uh, medical care or grocery shopping, making sure the apartment was clean. Wow. I mean, imagine being homeless for 25 years, you know, and then moving into a place. Uh, there's a misconception that just because you're, you're homeless, that the solution is to come into housing and, and then everything is solved. But I believe um, our problems don't stop just because we have four walls and a roof over our head, right? Yeah. And I, and I want to get into that because I'll, I'll hold off on the question that I have, because I want to get into what comes first, mental disease or homelessness or ah. et cetera. But, but um, I, I guess what I'm struck is, is, you know, you move, you just came from uh, basically working in a server. You've, you're doing something which is which is incredibly needed, but do you have you have a background in psychology as well? Is that correct? Yes, I have my master's in psychology from Capella University. I've also done several um, cross cultural uh, comparison studies on homelessness and mental illness in Japan. Oh, wow, that is fascinating. Yeah, because it's a multicultural issue, so it deserves different lenses and, and vantage points to create. Uh, effective um, treatment and treatment outcomes. You know, there's not one cookie cutter model of how it works because everyone has individualistic needs, right? Mm -hmm. And they change from day to day, just like yours and mine might. Um, same thing with individuals who might be on the street or suffering from a mental illness or, you know, a combination of all those uh, factors. And so um, actually lived on the streets with a a schizophrenic gentleman um, in Hishigi, Bukuro, Tokyo, Japan, um, and you know just saw what it was like to be homeless in in Japan. So there's a 
all kinds of learning experiences all along the way that juxtaposition into what Second Heart Homes is today. Are, are you native Sarasotan or did you come from somewhere else? Like like most everybody in Sarasota now. Well, Florida is the land of transplants. And that's <laughs> part of the issue with homelessness. With you, When, when individuals come here, uh, you lose your um, traditional support system. Right. Yes. Yes. And, right. Uh, you know, there's there's a lure of, of jobs with the tourism industry and, and you palm know, trees and the beach exactly. and sunshine. And yeah, it'll be so much yeah. better if you go south. Right. Yeah. So my story is not that interesting. I was born in North Carolina. I spent my childhood in Atlanta and I've been here long enough to lose my southern accent. So yeah, <laughs> I'm technically from here as far as I'm concerned. That's well, that's well, let's get into uh, second hard homes. Talk about talk about um, what are the programs that you have in place because everybody has to have a framework. Mm. You have somebody comes to come to you, or you find somebody, and obviously there's certain steps or a framework that you have in place to get them for, from where they are now to some place where they're self sufficient, productive, and off the street. Obviously, talk about the programs that you have. Okay, great. So um, just to piggyback off the last story, you know, that was once this gentleman um, got into to a place, it was kind of like, wow, if that was impossible, there's so much more to accomplish. So then had an LLC doing that and then determined that the model was not sustainable if we wanted to grow and help more people. So that's when it started up Second Heart Homes. And we just turned two years old on January 1st of 2022. So we're relatively young. However, we have six homes scattered throughout the Sarasota area that serve 36 individuals coming off the street uh, with mental illness who have either been homeless or at risk of homelessness. And so clients come from all different referral sources or literally meeting them on the street. And they have to come into our program with a commitment to address their mental and physical health. Um, individuals who don't want to do that may not experience success in our program. Right, right. It's one thing we really screen carefully for who's going to have a reasonable chance at success in our program because we don't want to cause them more trauma. We don't want to um, interrupt the potential uh, greater good of the group as a whole for our other clients. And I was visiting some of our clients the other day and they said, wow, you know, this is wonderful. We, we just love it here. We have a we have a brotherhood. We have people who understand us, whether it's, you know, our our housemates or the staff or the volunteers and and I asked a few of the clients who had been in different types of transitional housing, which we offer transitional or permanent. It depends on what that individual needs. And so our, our client said something that really struck a chord with me. He said that we don't just let anybody in. He likes our screening process because, you know, we, we take extra steps to make sure it's safe. That's going to be a good fit. You know, there's some matchmaking involved. Cohabitating with others is not an easy thing. And so, um, we want to make sure it's a good fit for, for everybody because that's um, uh, just important. I'm so glad that the clients recognize that too. Well, I'm sure you've seen a number of of cases. Oh, yeah. Where uh, No, but I mean a number of cases where 
they're fully capable of turning around. They're fully capable of holding down a job and taking care of themselves and whatnot, but they prefer to live on the street. Yes. And I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, so when, when I talk about how housing isn't just the, the solution, I'm also talking about, well, we have our own established uh, schedule in our lives. You do, I do, everybody does, right? And so no different than in, so an individual that's on the street. So it is a transition to move off the street and into a home and into a beautiful home. Most yes, yes. Don't expect the, the the splendor of when they walk in. I mean, it's nicer than my home and and uh, many others that I'll go into. So um, it's a tri- it's a new way of life. And there's a way of life on the streets. There's still schedule. There's still like specific places to go to, specific places not to go to. And anyone who's complacent with being on the street, you got to think. Why are they complacent there? The The harder thing is to transition into the unknown, even if it's a positive thing. If if you move to a place, um, it may be a very positive thing, but, you know, it's still kind of a trauma to to move. So is that, I, so then what I hear you saying is, is that one of the things that you do is you bring structure yeah. to their lives. I, I guess a schedule. Talk a little bit sure. about how you do that and how you how, actually how you get them to comply <laughs> uh, case by case basis, I guess. Yeah. Structure and accountability. So our mission is to restore the dignity of the homeless and mental health population through housing support and love. Uh, that, mm-hmm. that love is critical. Mm-hmm. So, and that love is also tough love, right? <laughs> so we, we all need famous, to- famous book by that name years ago, uh, you know, for, for relationships and raising kids and stuff like that is tough love. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's good. I'm glad you you brought that up. That uh, brought me back. So uh, they people have to come in with skin in the game. You can tell when people don't want to be helped, right? And uh, there are some specific cases where that can change. And but when you give people the environment to do things differently, to experience love that they may have never had. Um, or they don't recognize what what positive love looks like, caring. I mean, when you sit down with a client and say, we're going to learn Microsoft Excel today, and this is why. This is how it's going to help you. Um, you We had a client who did a beautiful presentation, and one of his slides was, I went from sleeping in the streets to concatenating on spreadsheets. (laughs) Um, I thought, you know, th- this was an individual that society had pretty much given up on. I mean, yes. he went through 19 different foster homes and went through, you know, being bounced around so much like that. How can you really grow as an individual? And then um, he was arrested 45 times since 2009. And oh I mean, think about being shuffled around in, in that respect, too. Today, uh, I'm not allowed to have favorite clients, but... Uh, he is an inspiration. He mentors other clients and says, Hey man, you know, I know what you're going through and I know it's tough and you know, you don't need to hate the police or anything like that. You know, just take your, 
take your experiences and try to manifest your future with it and just learn from everything and, and change your narrative and that that peer support that our client uh, is able to offer and, and many of our clients do is based on the the programs that we um, have in place. So we're offering, um, we want to develop our clients as far as uh, soft and hard skills, and then also provide workshops that might en enhance skill sets or um, offer introduction into hobbies and interests. Frequently, when people come into our program, you know, that's what we screen for. We say, what are your hobbies and interests? You know, name Natural a couple. Natural interest, yes. Yeah, name a couple short-term and long-term goals. And it's astounding that, you know, that they don't have them, but also it makes sense. You're on the streets. You can't really focus on those day things. to day. Mm. Yeah. You're, you know, your body's in fight or flight. So I almost argue that um, being homeless itself can cause mental illness when your body is just in fight or flight. Um, you can't really develop physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, all these things. Right. Right. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned hard and soft skills and, and having played a stint in HR for, number of years. The soft skills, of course, are so in vogue today. They were not pretty much in my in my career, my previous business career. And they are so much harder because the hard hard skills you can manage, right? The soft skills are a real challenge because it's interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. How do you respond when somebody is uh, nasty to you or even threatens you? How and to me that is a monumental task. Mm -hmm. Is so so. <laughs> this is for me. <laughs> how do you? How do you? I mean, what are some steps that you take to move somebody from a mindset that fight or flight mm -hmm. to where they say, "Okay, I can do this. I can handle this situation. I can relate to somebody differently." Yeah, when someone comes into our program, we do a full blown assessment of their past experiences, you know, where their mindset is now. Anyone who walks through our doors um, with our partners through uh, Gulf Coast Samaritan Services, uh, we provide 10 sessions of therapy for the individual. And then um, so they can begin to process what's happened to them on the street or what didn't happen. I mean, it's um, it's a mixed so bag. you have. You have real professionals, educated yeah. professionals that work with them and, and okay, okay. So real case workers then, yes. Yes, we have um, uh, case workers, we have co community collaborations, and we know we can't do it all. And that's yes. so huge that we're collaborating in the community, you know, and with the court system, you know, all these different things. We're, we're all after the same goal. We just want to help people. And we want to assimilate our clients into the community, just like you and I, sometimes for the first time, right? It's, right. Um, so whether we're teaching someone how to clean the baseboards of a home that they need to care for or saying, hey, this is how you properly court a lady on the internet. And maybe this is how you don't properly court a lady right. on the internet. You know, these are, these are life skills and... and Teach people I, 
<laughs> Megan, I came from an analog background. So courting, courting on the internet to me is just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> but that's, that's the, that's the, that's the new world today. So <laughs> yeah, that's how a lot of people meet. And we see some clients that, you know, that that's how they meet yeah, people. Of course, so give of them the, the tools to, you know, make sure they're not out of bounds, which this is not really related to homeless. As I say, any guy really. Yeah, I um, know. Or gal, yeah. who knows? I mean, just um, so we we want to look at their specific situation, what their goals are, and and make sure we are tailoring our services to their specific needs. That's I can't stress that enough that we are individualistic as far as how our case plan grows and develops with the individual. Because what might be a goal yesterday is a different goal today. So, so if you have, say, 10 candidates come to you, mm-hmm. of those 10, you obviously have a filtering process up front. You have a, an assessment process up front. How many of those might you be able to help? And how many of those you say, we're well, going to have to refer you someplace else? Or are they, are they, self, are they self-assessment? Because right off the bat, if they say, no, nah, no, nah, man, I don't want to change. Or, I, you know, that, of course, now they're not a candidate. Yeah, we would still have some sort of dialogue with them and explain what we offer. And and if we're not able to help them, we want to at least give them resources that may help them because we understand we're not the end all be all. There are lots of other organizations in this community and some might be better served by another right. organization. Right. And we want to make sure that they get exactly what they need. And if someone no longer um, will be with our organization because we're, we're not able to uh, assist with the acuity of care that they need, then we right. want to make sure we take the extra time and effort, which can be kind of consuming, but to get them to the higher acuity of care that they need, that could look like uh, a memory care, that could look like a facility that does specialized care, such as um, medication management, where they're actually handling the medications. Our clients have to be independent in that realm. We can remind them to take medications and come up with all kinds of creative things. But if we are not able to service them, then we want to make sure they get a warm handoff to something that might be able to, that's more appropriate. What, What does come first? Mental illness? then homelessness or vice versa? I think the answer is both. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's hard to determine. I mean, if you're going back to the fight or flight, you're on the streets, uh, you know, you're concerned about where you can go use the bathroom. You've got an appointment at your uh, doctor's office over there. You got detox over there. You got, you know, individuals trying to, you know, come into uh, screw up your schedule, you know, temptations or, you know, then all of a sudden it's raining and there go all your plans. So, I mean, you're just right. in this constant like a pinball frizzy, a frenzy. It seems to me like, because a, a, if you kind of wrap all that up, it sounds like a, a basic general sense of loss of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just, you just, you're no longer in control and that can be extremely stressful. I mean, I, I obviously we've all felt that way and I certainly have, you know, throughout my life at certain times, and it's just it's just not comfortable at all. And unfortunately, I have a support system, and and haven't gone through near the trauma a lot of your a lot of your uh, people have. But it seems to me like loss of control is a, is a is a big issue. 
Yeah, you want to think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Yeah, sure, situated. of course. Right. And then also you need to have a support system because it's not about how hard you fall. It's how you get back up. And that Mm -hmm. is your support system. So we try to uh, give an element, all those elements and bring them together to empower each client as an individual to be as self-sufficient as possible. And what we're also trying to accomplish, some individuals might be with us for a short period of time because we're just a stepping stone on their journey to whatever their highest level of independence is. Now, others might continue to need our services to continue. And um, how do you how do you assess that? How do, how do you determine that whether someone's with you for a few days or a few months or uh, what does that look like? Well, probably less than days. It's more like, you know, months or, or years. Um, so what that person's situation is, it could be, okay, do they have a support system to guide them through this? What is their track history at achieving goals? I mean, does this individual need someone to go grocery shopping with them every time so they don't spend $75 on peanuts and Dr. Pepper? That might be one of our clients who, you know, they don't have a support system outside of us. So realistically, they're going to need support for a longer period of time. And uh, so we try to be very sensitive to that. And um, if someone is very capable of getting their own home or own place, that very first gentleman I spoke of, he's a homeowner now, which is just lovely. He's safe for that is That is a wonderful story. Wonderful story. Yes. It, it is. Well, I, I want you to, I, hopefully there's a, there's a few more of those that you can share with us. And you talked a little bit about misconceptions. Uh, we talked a little bit about misconceptions, whether it's mental illness first or homeless first. And you say it's a little bit of both. What is, so the guy on the street, such as myself or anybody else, you're walking down the street, Main Street or someplace else in Sarasota, you see somebody homeless. What are the typical misconceptions that you think many people have about the homeless? Oh, that they're all drug addicts. They chose that style of life. They, um, uh, they're running with a rough crowd. Uh, I mean, and to bring it a step further, you might see a lot of people and you don't even know they're homeless. Uh, our very first female client, she, gosh, I, I asked her that same question. I said, as a female, what are the misconceptions about, um, being homeless for you? And she said, that I got to stink to be homeless, that I got to look homeless to be homeless. There's a huge demographic of what we call the hidden homeless. Those are individuals that, that don't look like your typical homeless person. They could be living out of their car or some other precarious situation not meant for long-term um, habitation. That could be a motel. That could be a friend's couch or um, you know some sort of domestic violence situation they can't get out of, but they'd rather not be homeless. I mean, that's um, and that goes for for women and men. Uh, yes. It's a misconception that men don't face the same traumas as women on the streets too, and that is uh, that's n- not true. They're just as susceptible to right. you know uh, violence and, and sexual assault as women are. Um, the other misconceptions are. Um, that well, everybody begs for money. That's not quite the case. There's some people who are actually housed, but they don't have the um, 
everything that they need in their housing. So they might be out there. They, our clients call it flying a sign when you're holding a sign for money. Uh, they might be out there flying a sign because they can't get Ziploc baggies and, and Windex and stuff like right. that um, or, or pay their electric bill. That's not always the case, but uh, I have seen it a couple times. Should 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 passerbys give them money? No. and Because I'll tell you what, I'm a, I am a sap through and through. And my, my wife would say the same thing, but I have I, indeed, I've done it many, many times because I just, I feel like I've been so incredibly blessed in life. I've not mm-hmm. gone through anything like that. And you're just like, you know, it, it doesn't, it tugs at your heartstrings, but please talk about that. Yeah. Uh, from a couple of different viewpoints, um, I've given people money on the street before. Uh, definitely. Um, do I do that now? Not so much. Uh, I think it's better served to give to the organizations that right. are doing the the footwork, and we're not the only one here. There, you know, this is like a, a complicated um, sandbox where everyone's trying to play their part and work together. And I think Sarasota's come a long way on that, and will continue to do so. But uh, it's better served going to the organizations that are doing the. Front lines work, behind the scenes work. Doing the work, yes. Absolutely. And then I did a presentation where one of our clients, uh, Nick, actually came and spoke with me. He he does a little bit of question and answer as what we deem our resilience expert. And someone asked him that. And I was shocked to learn his answer. And he said, nope. And he, he was a notorious um, flyer of a sign, Right. Right, and I was like, "Oh, I passed the microphone on to him." I said, "Okay, Nick, uh, why?" And he said, "We're going to go spend it on something, and it might be nefarious, it might not. But if all of our needs are being met on the streets, why would we do anything differently?" Great why? point. So that is um, that makes a lot of sense, and he even elongated on that, elaborated and said uh, that just donations on the street are are risky with with individuals because right. it makes people feel like they have to take it just because you're giving it to them. It does compromise some dignity. Um, and people don't just want your leftovers and, right. and feel like, oh, I must take this because you're out here on a Sunday afternoon right. and I'm here and one plus one equals two. Uh, you know, that was... Um, that was mind blowing to me to hear that um, from our client. Megan, as we wrap up here, give me a let's let's end on a high note here. Give me another story which you're most proud of, and then we're going to find out how people can donate or reach you or become part of your your mission here. But to give us give us a story that you're most proud of. <sighs> Gosh, uh, well, talked about the gentleman who's now a homeowner, um, talked about Nick a little bit. He's breaking down. I want to elaborate on that. He does talks with us, and he these are so important because he talks about what it's like to be homeless, what it's not like to be homeless, uh. what it's like to have schizophrenia, and what it's not like. And that medication, it really helps him in, in conjunction with therapy and then the accountability and the camaraderie that is experienced in our program. But you can't turn off schizophrenia. 
And it's not the it's not the big bad scary thing that a lot of people make it out to be. That so, Hollywood's made it out to be. Yes, yes. And so he said um, all these different modalities help him kind of turn down the dial on the schizophrenia, and um, that it you know it's something he's always going to struggle with but he needs to advocate for himself constantly and you know that that's a beautiful thing to see someone really take an almost hopeless situation and empower not only themselves but others you know lift other people up when, right. when they're down or going through you know a similar path that he has been down and seeing others go down and and you know rise above the ashes so Nick, Nick's really a leader now in your organization. Oh, he yeah. is. He certainly is. He's inspiring other clients and us uh, daily. And that's just um, what, what a great gift. Well, Megan, if people want to know more about Second Heart Homes, where do they go and how do they get involved? Well, they go to our website and we had to make it difficult. So it's Second Heart Homes, S-E-C-O-N-D-H-E-A-R-T. H-O-M-E-S dot O-R-G. And uh, we have an art auction coming up on March 26th of this month. Oh, my gosh, March already. And uh, that's going to be really fun. So that's at uh, Art Avenue at 1440 Main Street from 6 to 9. And all the proceeds are going to go to our organization. Also, we uh, the Flanzer. Philanthropic Trust is matching all donations made from $5 to $500. So you donate $500 this month. We're going to see a thousand of that. And you can wonderful. do that every That's month wonderful. the rest of the year. That's and wonderful. then if you want to uh, get involved with volunteering, um, either behind the scenes or directly with clients, it's huge for us to integrate the community with understanding and breaking down the stigma and um, being part of the solution. So reaching out on the website is the best way to uh, get in touch with us and see how we can all be part of this difficult solution in our community. Well, it is a difficult uh, task, but uh, you are wonderful for doing this because you could do, you're obviously very talented. You could be doing a lot of other things, but you're doing this. I want to thank you personally and uh, it's been a pleasure having you on this show. So let's do it again real soon. 